Blog Talk Radio. Encountering that bitch Irma, who is uh, attacking the the Florida state, um, hunker down, Floridians. We're pulling for you. Uh, hopefully, Irma just downgrades to category nothing, and you just get a little bit of rain. But all you guys in Florida, be safe. We're pulling for you. And you know, if you're listening to us, thank you so much. Hopefully, we can get you to forget about what's going on and have some fun tonight. But just want you guys to know down in Florida that we are thinking about you and pulling for you. All the best for you guys. But we are back and excited for tonight's show. Give us a call. 347-838-9815 is the number to call. Tonight's show, it's story time here at the Ken Reedy Show. And we're going to be sharing encounters, uh, both as what's cool on this show is we have the fan perspective. We also have kind of being in the business as well. So, we're going to share stories of meeting meeting wrestlers as fans, meeting wrestlers at signings, but also meeting wrestlers behind the scenes, seminars, uh, doing shows with legends, hell, getting in the ring with some legends. We're going to share all these amazing stories because we thought it would just be cool for a throwback show to give you guys some of our personal encounters. And we want to hear from you, too. So if you've worked with some legends, you've met some legends at shows, Hell, man, we don't judge. You want to go out, you want to meet your favorite wrestler, go the hell out and mark out because you know what? You only live once. If you don't have a chance to call us, head over there on social media. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Ken Reedy Show. Head over there. We got the show chat going on right now. We'll have the Monday Night Raw chat going on tomorrow night. But if you got some encounters you want to tell us, you can't call in, but you want us to know about what a guy was like. Was he a great guy? Was he a little bit nasty and surly? We want to hear all the stories. So head on over to Facebook and give us uh, your encounters over there on the Facebook page. If you can't call us, check us out on Twitter. Follow us. Our handle at Twitter is at the Ken Reedy Show. Tweet us sometime. 
Uh, we'll retweet your stuff. You retweet our stuff. It's a great, lovable Twitter sphere. Check us out on Twitter. You can also check out our website at the Ken Reedy Show. Now that's that's. I always do that, man. I always do. I do from at, and then I go back to at thekenreedyshow.com is the website. You can listen to the show there. Lots of cool stuff on that page as well. Blogs, pictures. Check us out at thekenreedyshow.com. You can listen to us pre-recorded if you missed us live on Sunday night. Listen to us pre-recorded on 1640 PWPR as well as the B Plus Players Radio uh, Network. And with that being said, lots of great stories to get into. And we're going to have some fun tonight. We kind of jotted some stuff down, but there's like very little bit of an outline going. We thought tonight would be free-flowing and just share some stories. Even in the pre-show meeting, we started sharing stories that we didn't even know about each other. So cool stuff. This show is going to be a lot of fun. Give us a call if you got some stories. But as always... We got lots of stuff to get into, and a guy who has been in and around the business for a chunk of time out in the, the land, the, the homeland of WWE, of the WWE Universe. My tag team partner on the line from Connecticut, Dave, how you doing this evening? Thank you for the uh, humbling introduction. I will say I don't really consider myself in the industry. Um, I'll get into that in one of my stories later on, but uh, I'm just a mark like everyone else that loves talking about wrestling, watching wrestling. And this is this show, just like all of our retro shows, but this show is more especially is right up my alley with all the stories of interactions. I can't, I can't wait. We might have to do a part two at this point. I mean, we might have all right. the stories that, that, that the three of us have. I mean, maybe we'll do a part two someday down the line, but I can't wait. But, yeah, and it's going to be fun. And, you know, you bring up a good point, man, and that's one of the things in, in wrestling. I mean, I, I love this, the business. I, I, love, I love being a fan. I love being part of the business. And it's funny because I have a hard time calling myself, like, in the business as well. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm on the outskirts. If, if all wrestlers consider themselves brothers, maybe I'm a, I'm a, a cousin first removed or some shit like that. But um, I, I kind of feel the same way. But I, I only, the one thing I do find interesting in wrestling is the idea that, that like, you know, calling fans marks, and there's this, like, sometimes this negative connotation to fans, which I always feel, like, odd in the wrestling business. So, to, tonight on this show, feel free to be a mark. There, This is a judgment-free zone on this show. Call in, be a mark, have a good time. Be, take being a mark as a compliment. And you, we're all fans here. We all love this business. We love, to me, it's the greatest form of live entertainment on the planet. So let's have a good time with that. And also relaying some of his great stories. On a lot of levels, the inspiration of today's show, and we're going to get that a little bit later on, our friend Rocky Santiago, internet, independent wrestling sensation and chauffeur extraordinaire today. (laughs) Rocky, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, Ken, Dave. As always, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for inviting me. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, unloading some interesting stories that uh, I've, I know you guys have encountered in your travels, and I've encountered in my travels. And, you know, and I do want to give a congrats. As far as, like, wrestling and being involved in wrestling, one of the, when I was involved with NWA on Fire, which eventually became Wrestling on Fire and doing commentating, um, 
probably the most fun I had being involved in the wrestling business. And uh, Ray Ray Mars, who is my broadcasting partner, my commentating partner, uh, got married yesterday. We were at his wedding. Uh, really fun wedding. And we posted the video up on the Facebook page. Check it out. A glorious entrance for the bride and groom. Uh, we meet up with them a lot on uh, WrestleMania every year. And um, just want to send out congratulations to uh, Ray and Joan on their nuptials. And it was cool, man, because that's the thing. Like, wrestling brings people together. And uh, going to the wedding, seeing them using Bobby Roode's uh, entrance theme for their entrance. Actually, the entire bridal party, they all had wrestling entrance themes. There was a stunner at some point. Uh, crashing a beer cans together happened at some point. There was a sexy boy. It was just, it was a whole thing. So really cool wedding. Congratulations to Ray and Joan. But that's the thing, man. That's the thing about pro wrestling. And um, some of that, you know, meeting legends is, is great, but some of the greatest people you meet are some of the, the, uh, just the independent workers. And Ray is a great guy and glad to have known him for as long as I had. So just want to shout out to them and give them a congratulations. But Let's get into, you know, meeting some of these legends, and why not start at the beginning? So, so Dave, I'm curious, going back, I mean, you've been, all of us have been wrestling fans forever, um, and as we get older, I find it interesting, like, as I get older, and, and I look back, I'm like, Jesus, I've been like, like, now it's like multiple decades I've been watching wrestling, you know, it's wild when you look back and, like, think about the first time you watched pro wrestling, and, and, Meet and then when you finally get to meet someone that you're watching on TV, Dave, do you have, can you go back and, and remember the first guy you ever met and what that was like for you? Yeah, um, my father took. In fact, it's funny that you mentioned this because my father and I were talking about um, this particular uh, evening just recently. Um, the first wrestler I ever met it was um, it, it was in Hartford, Connecticut, at the Hartford Civic Center, which is now known as the XL Center. And in the building, they also had a, a convention hall in the in, in the in the basement area, in the like near the arena, attached to it. Whatever the case is, so they did. A, Hartford used to do what they call their the Hartford Food Show, um, and they had different vendors and booths, and it was food, but you could also meet celebrities. And there were some NFL players that were there, um, some New York Giants players that I'd met earlier in that evening. But the first wrestler I ever met was superstar Billy Graham. Wow. Um, yeah. He was, um, it was, I was five years old. So at the time, I don't think he was wrestling. I think he was, um, I think he was on, on the, co- on the commentary side of things. Uh, but I just remember how, I don't remember much about that meeting, but I just remember how big he was. And he had this, like, I don't know, this, like, I don't know if he, if, if he put too much icy hot on or something, but he had this like minty smell to him when he bear hugged me. Um, as we took the picture. And later on that evening, in a different booth, I had met Hillbilly Jim. Um, and in the, in the picture with Hillbilly Jim, and maybe I'll post it on the Facebook thread, but the uh, picture with Hillbilly Jim, I don't really look too enthused. Um, I remember my father telling me that I was a little bit disappointed Hulk Hogan wasn't there. Uh, but nonetheless, those were the first memories of the first wrestlers I've ever met. And like I said, it was when I was like four or five years old, so... I don't have much uh, recollection of how that all went, but um, yeah, like I said, Superstar was just big and imposing, and he bear hugged me, and and he smelled like mint, 
of some kind. <laughs> so that, that's that's what I first remember. I'm curious, like how, like, like, do you remember being like taken aback by how big Hillbilly Jim was? Um, he was big. I mean, for a four-year-old, I'm saying like <laughs> Hillbilly Jim was enormous. I, you know what, his 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 size didn't really like. I didn't really think of it. I didn't really, you know, that didn't really come to me at that age when it came to him. I was impressed by how big Superstar was. And Superstar wasn't like he was, he, he wasn't in like his gimmicks or anything. I mean, he had like a, I think I still have the picture. I think he had like a tie-dye, like, like sweatshirt on and like slacks. So like you couldn't really see like, you know, his, 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 his physique, but you could see how big he was. Like he was just so big and burly. But to, as a kid for Hillbilly Jim, he didn't really... The, the size didn't really come into play. Like I said, I wasn't really enthused to be meeting him because Hulk Hogan wasn't there. So, I mean, you'd have to ask my father more about that than, than me. <laughs> oh, you were off. Do you have, like, uh, your first memory of meeting someone? Yeah, like, my honestly, my first memory is a little patchy, but uh, I'm, I'm even going to go – I'm probably going to date myself a little bit with that memory because my, my father was an attorney in Manhattan, and we were in uh, – I wouldn't say close proximity, but we were in the area of, of Madison Square Garden. And like my whole family, my father included, you know, may he rest in peace, my brothers, my grandmother, my, my all wrestling fans. Like my like my grandmother's guy was Antonio Roca. And and if he was losing, you know, during the match, if he was losing, God forbid you're sitting next to my grandmother because she's starting to beat the <laughs> crap out of you until, you know, Antonio makes a comeback. But my first memory and it's different i know it's in madison square garden my pop took me down and my first memory was george the animal steel wow and like he was in you know full george the animal steel mode and that dude like obviously as now again i'm in with dave this is like four or five years old and i'm thinking this guy is freaking nuts oh my like oh my god how is this man not in a cage like he is truly an animal like the hair the hair didn't really bother me because honestly i have a brother about justice harry (laughs) but you know just you know and he was in full mode and the mannerisms and and, whoa i was like holy holy smokes this guy is going to eat someone's face like wow you know obviously i was terrified i was i hid behind my dad for you know most of his presence in front of me but that was probably my earliest memory uh, of a wrestler see it's funny man because you guys have like you know really young memories and and it's funny because i i you know for me as, as a wrestling fan i probably became a fan i mean no one in my fa- i was i'm the oldest kid in my family um you know, my dad really wasn't a fan. Although, like, get him talking about Bruno San Martino, and he'll talk, but he's not like really a hardcore fan. He's a baseball guy. So, it was it was when I was in, I think it was third grade, like Bobby Moran sleepover party, and uh, uh, first time I saw Jimmy Snuka was like, this is the greatest thing. Like, he, he bled, and, and then like he he saw he was bleeding, and uh, then he, he, he stopped being like beat up and all of a sudden he was good to go. And as a kid, I'm like, that's amazing. Um, so that was like my first exposure to like, I mean, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen like this. And then I think another match on the card was, uh, Mr. Fuji and Tiger Chung Lee versus, uh, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. So this is like, I'm at this sleepover birthday party and Fuji used the salt and I just was, I, I was hooked, but the thing was, for me as a kid, so I got, I got into it a little older, and then 
my mom was like president of the PTA, like, you know, watch the media, kids shouldn't watch this, what's influencing that, and blah, blah, blah. So for me, wrestling was violent. And my mom was cool enough where she wouldn't take it from me. She wouldn't say I couldn't watch it. But uh, she didn't want to encourage the fandom <laughs> necessarily. So there was no, like, going to events or, or seeing wrestling or anything like that as a kid. So for me, it was like when I became an adult and started to have some of my own money, then it was like now, which is probably why I haven't like really grown up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's like stunted my maturity, but it, it got to a point where like, I'm going to do all these things I couldn't do as a kid. Um, so when it came to wrestling, um, I was at this point, the first wrestler I, I met, uh, I, I had a full-time job, um, and, you know, the internet was, I guess, around, but kind of in its infancy as far as, uh, um, you know, being accessible and what was on there and, and how to use it, and, you know, you, you need your phone, and shh, ka-dung, ka-dung, you know, and I, I wasn't up on the dirt sheet, so I didn't really know, and I still want, as much as I knew it was scripted, I still watched wrestling as a show. Um, I didn't pay attention to the other stuff behind the scenes. So uh, it's 1996. I see a flyer that in White Plains, Razor Ramon is going to be appearing and signing autographs. I'm like, Razor Ramon, yes, let's go. And so we go out to, to meet Razor Ramon. Again, not being up on the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if this is right when Razor Ramon is essentially signed with WCW and he's on his way out. So this is like, this is basically spring of 96. He's doing this uh, signing in uh, White Plains. And we get there, and there's an announcement we get there that, sorry, everybody, but Razor Ramon will not be doing today's signing. However, Owen Hart will be doing today's signing. And so that is the first wrestler I got to meet. And that's um, that's cool. You guys, like, you know, got your first meeting young. However, for me, like, it's very vivid for me. I remember uh, vividly meeting Owen Hart, um, uh, and he was such a cool guy, how upsetting it was for me when he passed away. Um, but he was awesome. He was he was really great, um, uh, especially as an adult going there and meeting, like, the first wrestler I, I've ever met. Um, I brought a magazine with me. He, he signed it, took a picture with me. Uh, you know, put the fist up like, uh, you know, and uh, and then that night, which was interestingly enough, they had a raffle for uh, tickets to an upcoming show at the Garden. And I wound up getting tickets for May 19th, 1996, as I sat there in Madison Square Garden watching four wrestlers hug, <laughs> not knowing that it was that big a deal. But, yes, I was at the curtain call. Um, I won tickets at uh, the Owen Hart signing, and, and I was at the curtain call. And um, I, I do remember, like, most of us in our section, like, not really. Like, it was, like we clapped because most of us knew that it was scripted. It wasn't, uh, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, uh, you know, it being scripted was a closely guarded secret. That, uh, True. you know, we all saw, you know, Oz at that point. You know, we, we – I, you know, we were older. Uh, we all knew essentially that it was scripted. So um, 
I don't remember having that feel of it being such a big deal at the time. Um, but then it was, it was crazy because like as time went on and like it was referred to as a curtain call and I was like, Oh, what's that? Like, Oh, in the garden. like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Like, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. And, and like, you know, as I've grown to like read up on it and everything, I understand why it's a big deal now because as much of it as we all knew it was scripted, they still really didn't come right out and say it like this. We're actors and this is scripted. So I understand why it was a big deal. Um, but yeah, it, it's like when I when I trace back to meeting, you know, the first wrestler I ever got a chance to meet, and then that turned into being at the curtain call. It, it's kind of it's kind of wild, like thinking back on that. But uh, you know, and, and we'll get into some negative uh, meetings, I guess. But <laughs> I do think you know the, the thing with with pro wrestlers, and uh, it's it's all about that. You know, you might be meeting a hundred fans, but you know, there could be that one person in that crowd that's meeting you for the first time or meeting a wrestler for the first time and, and how much that can shade um, where your fandom winds up going. And for me, uh, you know, I had no idea, especially like Owen Hart being, you know, given the old switcheroo, um, you know, what Owen would be like. And he, he was just such a nice guy, such a cool guy. Um, so nice to everybody online. And, uh, it just wound up being like a really cool experience that, uh, you know, and I think back on why I'm still a wrestling fan. Like that's one of those moments where I'm like, Oh yeah. You know? Oh, and like, cause honestly, like I was an adult at that point. Um, if Owen was an asshole, there is really a good possibility. I'd be like, you know what? Screw this wrestling. It's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm done with it. But, uh, you know, Owen being a cool guy. So it's, uh, you know, that was, that was the first guy, first wrestler I ever met. So, Cool stories all around, and we have a phone call. All right. Let's go out to the phones, because I, I did put it out there. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. If you've got some cool stories, uh, whether it's working with a wrestler, chance encounters, badgering someone at the airport, perhaps, <laughs> or just meeting them at a signing. We want to hear all your stories. We're going to go out to the phones right now, uh, if I can. There we go. Call, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. How are you? What do you got for us tonight? Uh, I'm really good. How are you guys? Doing all right. Good. Um, well, there's absolutely no way I'm topping Owen Hart in the curtain call, so thanks for that, man. <laughs> oh, way to just way to go ahead and kill it before we get the show started. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Apologies. Um, what no, do you so, got? Uh, yeah. I, uh, so... I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, and my dad worked at Daytona National Speedway. So one of the things he got to do was coordinate the national uh, anthem singer, the flyover, and the grand marshal. So I'm – yeah, right, was a sick job. And, uh, and before that, he actually worked in Atlanta at Turner. So that's how I became a big wrestling fan as a kid because he basically worked on the floor below all the wrestlers. So he rode the elevator with, like, Flair and Hogan and, you know, all those boys. Right, so like I got worked into the wrestling world really young as a kid, and uh, and I was a big fan, so it was definitely a WCW kid, not a WWF kid. And so this is like 2000, I think I'm 10, uh, and uh, so my dad, so we're, we're at the track, and my dad was like, hey, you know, you're gonna meet the Grand Marshal today, and so we're like, okay, so it's me, it's my brother, it's my mom, it's my dad, we're we're in this building or whatever, it's it's the day of, but it's early on in the morning, and all of a sudden the door opens. And it's Goldberg. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. 
So now this is 2000 Goldberg. So he's six, four, probably pushing 300. Like he's still full defensive end. Bill Goldberg from the NFL. Uh, the, the only dude I've ever seen that had, Oh yeah. The only dude to this day, and I'm 27 now, the only person I've ever seen had to turn sideways to get in through a door. <laughs> wow. I believe I'm it. not kidding. So, oh, yeah. So the story gets better. Um, Goldberg was a defensive end for Georgia, uh, it, for those of us that, that, that know that. Um, yeah. My dad went to the University of Tennessee. I've been a Tennessee fan my entire life. I'm a 10-year-old kid wearing a Tennessee Volunteers hat. <laughs> Nobody bothered to tell me that Goldberg played for Georgia. Right? Pops, moms were in the car. Nobody decided to give me a heads up, maybe save my life. I don't really know. <laughs> uh, so Goldberg walks in. First off, sweetest dude. Um, he was great with my dad. He was great with the security there and just, you know, it, whether or not he actually wanted to be there, he made the best of it. Sweet dude. Hung out with me and my brother. Talked to us. Great, awesome guy. We'll defend him forever. Um, but he walks in, and the first thing he does is he sees me wearing a big hat that says Tennessee Volunteers, and he goes, you need to turn that hat around, son. And I was, like, <laughs> in tears, like, yes, sir. And so I, I turned the hat around because he's terrified. Cause of, yeah, exactly. Like, don't eat me. Or something, please, sir. <laughs> um, so he, so I flipped the hat around. Well, there's a little. It was a Velcro hat, and there was a little piece of fabric hanging off the end of the Velcro. It was an orange square piece of fabric with a white T on it. So even turning it around, there's still something there. And uh, and so he hangs out with me and my family. Awesome guy. We, we shoot the breeze like great dude. And then he, he we're like, hey, do you mind if we get a picture? It's me and my brother and him. And he's like, yeah, absolutely, no problem. Let's go for it. So the piece of fabric is still showing when I turn my hat around. So rather than having me take the hat off, Goldberg is standing in the middle of my brother. His left arm is around my brother's shoulder, as it normally would be for a child when you're taking a picture. His right hand is basically palming the top of my head. <laughs> so, it, so the Tennessee fabric on the back of my hat doesn't show. He's engulfing my entire head. Nice. <laughs> and so uh, so that was the day I got to meet uh, Goldberg. And until then, like my favorite, one of my three favorite wrestlers of all time, like I just uh, love the guy. That's awesome, man. I just realized like you tweeted that like you're from uh, the Couple of Marks podcast, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm curious like now, you know, and it's interesting because I just, you know, bring up like the first guys you meet, like. How much did that, like, you know, having that positive experience meeting Goldberg, like, shade you as far as continuing on as a wrestling fan? It, it really was. It was awesome, right? Because at that point, you're 10. I've been following wrestling for the last few years anyways. Like, my dad used to, like, you know, I'd have a normal bedtime, as any other 9, 10-year-old would. My dad would wake me up at, like, 9.30 at night, right before the main event segment of Nitro. And I would get back up out of bed and watch it with my dad. And, like, that was a family event. Like, Monday Night Nitro was a family event for, for us. Uh, and meeting Goldberg and having such a great meeting with him. And then also I think what, what's a big deal is I knew he spent the entire day with my dad, and my dad said he was really awesome. So that's a big deal, too. When you're a kid and your dad basically backs up what you already think, 
that's that's going to hold a lot of weight as well. But I think it had a lot to do with it. And then I got to meet uh, last year. We were at um, Ring of Honor, uh, uh, Supercard of Honor was in Lakeland where we are, and we got to meet the Young Bucks after their match, their their ladder match with the Hardy Boys right before WrestleMania. Um, oh wow! It was the match was over. The, the Hardy Boys, you know, took their curtain call. You know, told the Young Bucks that this was the this was the greatest tag team they've ever wrestled, and they rolled out of the ring. The Young Bucks took the curtain call. Everybody kind of stands around the the, the barricade, and the the Bucks, Matt and Nick, both walked around and said hi to every person that was there, signed every piece of paper that was put in front of them, and smiled for every picture of a camera that was put in their face. And that is another thing. And that you know, now it's 17 years later, and even seeing that, I'm like, man, that that really restores my faith in, in wrestling and wrestlers and, and how they interact. So it's a, it's a huge deal. If it's negative or positive, it affects people greatly. I feel. I agree with you. And I, I think it's, it's, it's really important for, you know, wrestlers um, and, and honestly celebrities in general that you gotta, um, you know, I keep saying it, but like, you know, you might be meeting the thousandth fan for the day, but each one of those fans are meeting you for the first time and, and what you can do to, uh, make someone's moment like positive or negative. And, and it's interesting that we all have those positive moments that we can trace back that, you know, who knows if Goldberg was an asshole, like maybe you're like, all right, true wrestling, you know, and then there's, there's a fan that's gone. And, and anytime you're asked about wrestling, you bash wrestling because, you know, negative experience with Goldberg. And it's, it's, I don't know. I just think it's, uh, there's a lot of power there that, um, Oh, I think the nice guys realize it, but maybe the guys that uh, aren't so nice, they don't realize the kind of power they have, you know? Absolutely. I think that's why Sasha was catching a lot of heat lately from from all the wrestlers. I would agree. So, I'm curious yeah. about that. Like, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on Sasha and, and her feelings on fans and, and um, meeting fans and all that stuff? It's, you know, it's, it's tough, right? Because I can sit here and say certain things, but at the end of, at the, end of the day, I don't have a hundred people a day that want to run up to me and, and get me to sign something or take a picture. So I don't know what kind of weight that puts on you. Now, in the opposite, you signed up for it. When you wanted to go into wrestling and you wanted to reach the pinnacle of wrestling and have your face everywhere in the world, you signed up for that life. So it's tough to hear somebody complain for a life they signed up for, right? It's like if somebody you know just complains about their job but shows up every day. It's like, dude, you, you're the one that's showing up. I don't know why you're complaining. Like, leave. So, And I understand there are some times where you just have bad days. Like, we're human. Everybody's going to wake up and just be pissed for a day and just not want to be talked to or something like that. So it's, it's real tough. I, I go back and forth with that. At some points, I get it. At other points, I argue against it. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and I hear you, man. And I, I think, you know, part of it with Sasha, I think, was she kind of did herself in. Like, you could you could give her the benefit of the doubt of having a bad day. But then when you go on a podcast and kind of – or you do an interview and you start, like, ripping on fans trying to meet you, then it's yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, I was willing to accept the bad day, but now you're kind of saying this is your philosophy on things. And that's where I think she kind of um, – she lost me a little bit as a fan. And I, I'm right there with you. To me, it's like you signed up for it you signed up for it. Yeah. And I think that's why, that's why like everybody's falling in love with Alexa and Naya and their like road trip stories and Walmart, you know, <laughs> midnight Walmart runs where they're like taking fan taking pictures with fans. Like 
I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have fallen in love with their their friendship on the road is because they're the exact opposite. Well, yeah, it, it goes without saying, like, especially like myself uh, coming from a military background, one, one of the famous things, and it's obviously a different lifestyles, but one of the sayings that you have in the military is you're a Marine 24-7. You signed up for it. You signed the contract. And just, just like you're saying, you know what? You're a wrestler. You're, when you're at that level of wrestling, when that is your career and you are at the pinnacle of wrestling, you are a wrestler 24-7. Uh, and mm-hmm. sure, you know, granted, people can have bad days. You know, some of these stories are about wrestlers' bad days. <laughs> But when when you do espouse that, you know, you know, these fans coming up to me like, well, that's part and parcel of the package They're The fans are the reason why your face is everywhere. If the fans didn't care about you, you wouldn't be in it. So, uh, sure. you know, you you really got to, you know, take a double, you know, step back, take a look at yourself. If that's the kind of vibe you're going to try to put out there and be a, a true to life professional wrestler. No, I completely agree with that. I think that's why going back real quick, I think that's why I I plug the the young bucks so much like Matt and Nick. They're they're that's them. That's their philosophy. Like if you guys don't buy a shirt, I don't have a job. And if you don't buy a ticket, I can't feed my kids. So if you want me to sign a million things, I'll stand in line and sign a million things. And that's that's their that's their attitude every time they go into an event or every time they're walking down the sidewalk. Like they just they accept it, they embrace everything about it. And I honestly, I think that's what you have to do. Like to Rocky, your point, like the the fans are, are who put you there. Um, I just want to like yeah. you're 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 you live in Lakeland, Florida. Yes, sir. So how how is everything okay down there? You, you kind of briefly said it. I'm like, oh, Florida. How are you guys uh, yeah. doing down there? So we're we're good. Um, and for those of you that don't know where Lakeland is. It's basically the center point between Tampa and Orlando. Uh, it's, it's about dead smack center. So we're right. We're, we're dead in the middle of the state, which is nice. Uh, so we're not, we're, we're pretty far off from the coast. So we're not getting anything like the storm surges or any of the bad stuff. Uh, Irma slowed down to probably about a cat category three. Now I think was the last time I saw it. Um, the only thing that stinks is, the eye of Irma is to the left of us. So the right side of her basically makes us prime candidates for what I call tornado land. So we're, we're basically under tornado warning for the next 24 hours. We've actually had three touchdown in Lakeland today, I think. Wow. Oh, wow. All right, dude. Well, yeah. well no, it's a good time. <laughs> I'm glad you still have your sense of humor. Uh, be safe again well, up here, up yeah. north. We're keeping all of Florida in our thoughts, so uh, be safe. And, and again, before we let you go, uh, if people want to listen to uh, a couple of Mark's podcast, uh, where they can, where can they catch you? Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, so we're on iTunes. Just search a couple Marks. It's all one word, uh, and we're constantly on Twitter, as you guys know. And it's uh, it's at ACM Wrestling, so that's where you can find us. Very cool. Thanks for giving us a call, and uh, hopefully talk uh, yeah, to you again soon, man. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ken. You guys have a great night. Be safe. You too. You too. Be safe, man. Yeah, good stuff. And I, and I think it's, it's an interesting talk, um, you know, about meeting wrestlers and meeting them out and, and how you should conduct yourself. And, and I've always been the type to 
Um, really try not to do that when someone's not at an actual signing. Um, you know, for me, I remember years ago, I, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, J.K. Simmons. Um, you probably know him from uh, Spider-Man. He played Jonah Jameson. Um, he's in a bunch of things. He was on Oz at the time, and I was a big fan of Oz. And he was walking to the mall, of, of all, like our local mall. And and I, I remember thinking, like, oh, I, I I shouldn't bother him. I shouldn't bother him. He's, he's, he's just out with his family. And then I was like, oh, he's so awesome on Oz. I have to say. <laughs> and, but the thing is, like, I didn't, I didn't ask for an autograph. Um, I didn't ask for a picture. I just went up to him and said, you're amazing on Oz. I just had to let you know that. Have a great day. And shook his hand, and he gave me a big smile and said, thank you very much. And he went on his way. Um, so I do think – I think this whole thing is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, I do think Sasha coming out the way she is is kind of wrong. And, and where I come from is um, being on the independent scene and, and meeting um, some wrestlers. And I, and I don't mean this derogatorily, but, like, wrestlers that don't have a pot to piss in that are just trying to live the dream and trying to get there and honestly trying to get to that status that Sasha Banks is at would, would kill to be bothered at the airport for an autograph. Um, there was the footage of Sasha coming out of a pizza parlor where she couldn't even turn and wave to the fans. Um, that's where I have a problem with Sasha. Um, now, on the flip side, if you, if you stalk someone's uh, travel itinerary and show up at the airport with two dozen eight by tens and you want them all autographed by a wrestler. No, you're wrong now. And at that point, a wrestler has, can give you the finger and whatever else they <laughs> want to do to get out of their face. But I do think as a celebrity um, and, and, you know, they did sign up for it. Like we just talked about, they signed up for that lifestyle. I mean, can Tom Cruise walk through an airport and have no one bother him? Um, you know, you're lucky that you're a celebrity and maybe 10 fans come up to you and bother you. Um, so I get it. I do get it that there's a time and a place for signings and there's a time and a place for people to have a personal life. But at the same time, um, then quit. Quit the WWE. Uh, don't be a household name. And then go, go find something else to do because um, the life of a celebrity to me, like any life and any job that you have, has positive and negative. You know, Absolutely. my job, I work with people with disabilities. Is it incredibly rewarding? Yes. Does the pay suck? Yeah. <laughs> okay? So that's that's my double-edged sword. I, You know, there's positive and negative where I work. That's the positive and negative to me being a celebrity. You get to make a lot of money. You get a lot of notoriety. You get to do what you love. However, some wackadoos are going to bother you in the airport sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, that's where, like, I, to me, it's like you've got to accept the fact that that's the life you've, um, you've signed up for. Um, and, again, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet wrestlers in, in bars and stuff. Um, you know, I, I usually just have a conversation. Um, I generally, like, don't ask for an autograph. Because, um, to me, the experience of meeting someone is, is far more interesting than um, getting them to necessarily sign something. Um, but I get it that some people like that autograph. Some people like that record of, of meeting someone. So I'm curious. I, I do. I, I see both sides of it, but I do lean towards Sasha being wrong. And I do think that, yeah, like Nia Jax and, and Alexa Bliss being more accessible, because I think that's part of the charm of pro wrestling 
is that you have these these larger than life superheroes that are on TV every week that are kind of accessible and fans feel like they're a part of it. And I think that's part of the charm of pro wrestling. Um, but I'm, I am curious about what you guys think as far as, um, you know, time and place is Sasha wrong, right? Is it is somewhere in the middle? I mean, what do you guys think as far as this issue in, in meeting pro wrestlers? Well, it's, it's a sticky widget. Uh, Sticky widget. Sticky widget. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like to say it's somewhere in the middle because, you know, and not just pro wrestling fans, just fans of celebrities in general. You know, I can respect that pro wrestling fans might have a, a little bit more passion, uh, but no, actually, you know, there are passionate uh, fans of celebrities as well. Like going to your story, Ken, uh, I have worked uh, all over in Midtown Manhattan, Lower Manhattan. And during uh, one of my one of my jobs was in the building actually that housed the agent to uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Robin Williams, and Billy Crystal. So during one morning while I was going to work, I was riding up the elevator, and who's riding up the elevator next to me? Billy Crystal and his wife. Wow. And and if you've heard uh, stories about Billy Crystal, he's actually notoriously standoffish with his fans. But you know what? I'm figuring this guy's just going to see his agent. Um, he's with his wife. I- I'm not going to bother him too much, but I-, I got off on the floor before he got hit. You know, he's going up to the penthouse. But before I left the elevator, I was like, sir, I just want to say I love your work. You are extremely funny. And he was very gracious. He's like, thank you very much. And, and you know, just you, you didn't look at him and say, you know what, Billy? You look marvelous. <laughs> I, 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 I missed that opportunity. <laughs> now that you say that, I hate that. Just a little bit. But, uh, not, you know, he was very gracious about it. And, you know, like you said, I can perfectly understand had a long day. You're, tra- you know, you're a wrestler. You're on the road almost all, every single day a year. And, sure, people come up to you like every single time they see you out there. But as long as they're being reason about, or reasonable about it, like your, your example of, you know, I, I'm, I'm carrying 10 or 28 by 10s. Please sign all of these. Well, dude, we're not at a signing. I'm going to my gate here. But you know what? If a fan comes up to you and say, I'm, I'm a really big fan. Can I just get a quick photo? Or I just want to tell you you're great. Or like, really, are, are you really going to be, the, you know, sit there and say, you know, I, these fans annoy me. Well, maybe if you're a heel, you know, that maybe if, if you're going to enjoy being an old school heel, then sure you can do that. Maybe old school Kevin Owens is like, well, I don't care about you. (laughs) Get get the hell out of here. But you know, if you're going to be a celebrity, if you're going to be in that life and you got to begrudge the public some, because you're in the public life, it's your career. It's your job. Say hello, you know, punch the clock. Welcome to your job. Yeah, and the thing is, and I think to me where she really lost me was that footage where she couldn't even turn around and wave. Uh, I mean, security was keeping the fans back. She wasn't being bombarded with, you know, autograph hounds. All she had to do was turn around and wave, and she made sure to keep her head down and get into her car. And to me, I'm like, that, that, I, I can't, I can, like, to your point, it's a double-edged sword, and I can see both sides of it. That's where I think she's 100% wrong. you got to turn around and, and, and wave. Your thoughts on this, Dave? I think it depends on the circumstances. Like Rocky said, they're kind of in a middle gray area. Uh, not exactly a widget, but a gray area nonetheless. Um, I think if 
to me, whenever I've approached somebody, I've never done it when they've been when they've been eating, when they've been out to eat. Like I, that's like a big no no. Like I think any individual, whether you're a celebrity or not, like if you're out in public, like if someone just bothers you while you're in the middle of eating, especially if you haven't eaten all day and you get hangry, like that's a big no no. And then the other thing too is bothering people in the bathroom. Okay. Now I could tell you a, a small story, not involving me. But someone that Ken, you and I both know, we, we did some business with him in the early <laughs> days of the Ken Reedy show. Um, this individual managed to go to a TNA show um, in Massachusetts and somehow managed to follow a few of the wrestlers um, as they left the arena and got you know on the road and managed to um, follow them to a uh, truck stop on the Massachusetts Turnpike. And he went into the bathroom and followed Chavo Guerrero, who was working for TNA at the time. And Chavo Guerrero was using the bathroom, and the, the, the urinal, and he shoved an 8x10 in his face. And <laughs> I'll never forget this. This is what this individual told me. Not the person who did this, but someone else who heard the story. The story I've heard was he shoved the 8x10 in Chavo's face, and Chavo said, really, dude? I got my dick in my hand. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Not for nothing. If no, no. someone's going to talk to me at the urinal, yeah, that's fighting. But, I, you know, and it's funny well, well, I actually, I, I, I took a leak once with James Earl Jones. Wow. And do you know how, how difficult it was for me? Not, it's, it's freaking Darth Vader. It's silly. No, but, like, I just wanted to say something to him. He's, like, two urinals over from me, and he's got, like, his handler with him. And he's like, where to next, Bob? And I'm like, it's Darth Vader's voice. And it's in the bathroom, so it <laughs> echoed. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I still, like, I, I kept my cool. I didn't, I said nothing to him. It killed me not to just, like, like even if I, like, if, if I wet myself, just to, like, shove it back in and be like, I, Mr. Jones, I have to meet you. I didn't. We're in the bathroom. That's, 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 that's sacred ground. I, so, I, yeah, so I, I'm told it right there. That's 100%. I am right there with, with Chavo in, in, that, in that area. Yeah, so I mean, if and both of you guys make great points. Our caller too from a couple of marks. You know, you sign up for this; it's part of the deal. The best how I could sum this up when it concerns the Sasha Banks story. Bully Ray posted on Twitter. Maybe you guys saw it. If you didn't, Bully Ray basically said you should be worried when there are, when there are not fans at 5 a.m. at the airport waiting for you to take a picture or sign an autograph. That's when you should be worried. And I, I think that goes to 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 show what kind of what kind of person Sasha has portrayed herself to be in the public that even like all right I made it I'm at the top but now there's some limitations and restrictions on how I want my fans to interact with me when it's those same people that supported her throughout her days in the indie scene when she was eating, you know, next to nothing and making no money until she got to WWE. So, you know, that's how I look at this whole situation with Sasha Banks. It's unfortunate, but she's not the first and certainly won't be the last person to, you know, make it to the big time and big league, you know, the people that, you know, helped her get there, which is the fans. And and it's interesting because, and it might be because of like being an older fan, but I do get um, to that point as a wrestling fan where, you know, when, when, People act like that. I, I kind of get to a point where, like, all right, that's someone I don't want to spend my money on. And that's where I think this fan interaction is so important because, 
Um, to me, it's where you spend your dollar. And, and, and wrestlers, you know, as any, like, you know, you're, you're kind of, again, you signed up for this. And on some levels, you are a bit responsible for the industry as well as just your own fandom. And, you know, and one of the things, and, and we joke a lot on this show. And, and by the way, this week, today, right now, is the one-year anniversary of the Blink If you, You'll Miss It match. Uh, CM Punk's UFC debut. <laughs> just just to like uh, get a frame of reference, I watched the match like 50, 60 times today. It took me about 10 minutes to get through it. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, we rag on CM Punk a lot on, on this show. And uh, partially it's because of um, how he walked out the door. Partially it's because, you know, when he walked out the door, he did bad mouth. Not just WWE but fans, and he does have a surly attitude towards wrestling fans. Um, but the other thing is, you know, and, and we're talking about Sasha when she's out in her personal life. As we talk about meeting pro wrestlers, uh, went to WrestleMania 26. We got the travel package. Part of the travel package was a meet and greet. Um, I think they, they called it something breakfast or whatever, but it was a meet and greet. Um, it was when CM Punk was doing a straight edge society. Gallows was with him. And man, like that was a signing. That was a signing. That was WrestleMania weekend. Again, a wrestler who thinks that like who complains that he wasn't the last match on the card, even though he got to wrestle Undertaker at a WrestleMania. Treated so unfairly. But anyway, at Mania, at a signing, dude could not be bothered with talking with fans. Could not be bothered. Now, do you want to say that CM Punk was having a bad morning? I can appreciate that. Although we all know he wasn't hungover, so I don't know what the (laughs) hell his problem is. But, you know, I went out the night before, but I wanted to take advantage of everything the travel package offered. So I'm like, I'm going out to to meet him. And he just, he he was not a a nice dude. Um, Made me wish I slept in. Um, By contrast, Luke Gallows was awesome. Gallows was very appreciative. Again, didn't have like the super long conversation with him, but you know, I said I'm a big fan. He said, thank you very much. We shook hands. Sam Punk didn't make eye contact with me when we shook hands. And, and, you know, to me, like, I'm sorry, man. Like I can't, again, going back to being on the independent scene, I cannot get behind a guy who has reached the pinnacle of this industry. When I know people and have watched people, who will scratch and claw and, and just to get like their asking price a little bit up, uh, you know, guys that just want to sniff even, even a, a, an iota of what Sam Punk got to have in his career. And, and you go and meet a guy and he's got that sort of attitude. I don't give a damn how great you are in the ring. I don't give, you can give me 29 pipe bombs like every week on Monday night raw. And they might be the best promos out there. I could give a shit if you're going to treat me like garbage when I come out to meet you in, in, a, in a situation where you're supposed to be there for fans to meet you. I'm sorry. I got no time for you. I don't care. I, I really don't. And I, I find it intriguing that fans still want CM Punk back, even though he's been such an ass with fans. Um, it is what it is. And I'll say it right now. And I don't care. I'm not going to be politically correct. I took great joy, great joy a year ago watching that arrogant son of a bitch get his ass handed to him in UFC. And that's partially like, you know, we, we joke about punk, but I'll tell you guys, that's really for me, 
where a lot of my angst comes from. Like my opinion of him really declined from that moment on. And uh, I, I just think when you're in that, this sort of industry, especially at a signing, um, there's no place for that. Well, yeah, it, it's the, it's the entertainment industry. Um, if you're not going to entertain, uh, then what use does the industry have of you? Uh, to, to, to your point, Ken, if you have a wrestler and you can substitute wrestler with celebrity, actor, you know, sports, uh, athlete, whatever. If you're not going to give the people who come to see you, you know, let, let's face facts. As a wrestler, as an athlete, as an actor, you're doing something that can be construed as like as an athlete, you're playing a game. As an entertainer, you're pre- you're pretending to be somebody. Uh, you know, and that can be going for wrestler or actor. Uh, that's your living, and people like us are what facilitate you being able to make a living doing that. So if you're going to just sit there and like not, uh, you know, no, I can't be bothered with you. Like I'll just take your money. Like, well, no, you won't give you any because you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, I want to get your take on this, but I just gotta add: if you guys go out there, if you don't follow already, check out a couple marks at ACM Wrestling is their Twitter handle. Just tweeted out the picture with Goldberg. Nice, and, and it's hilarious. Goldberg is palming his head, and it's like you could tell, like. <laughs> just, just remember, kid, I can pick you up and, and hurl you like a baseball. And, and you can tell like where, where the tag probably is on the hat, and, and Goldberg's got this sly grin on his face. And uh, it's like knowing the story behind it, it, it is such a great picture. So I, I, all you guys, check it out. A couple marks at ACM Wrestling is their Twitter handle. Uh, it's it's just great. It's a it's a great picture. So your thoughts on on CM Punk, Dave? Well, I, I agree with you here in the sense that, you know, he's an arrogant son of a bitch, and I took great pleasure in finding out that he got his ass kicked because I didn't waste any money on pay-per-view to watch that piece of shit get his ass handed to him. Um, so with that being said, I had a similar experience with CM Punk uh, two years prior. Uh, I've probably told similar stories like this before on the show, but for those of you who are new, um, I was fortunate enough to attend the WrestleMania 24 after party in Orlando back in 2008. Uh, thanks to, uh, you know, at the time we were friends, former TNA knockout Velvet Sky, and who she was dating at that time, Shane Helms. We're still pretty good friends. I just saw him a few months ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, Anyhow, um, I was at the party, and uh, I had met CM Punk. And um, I had asked for a picture, and he obliged. And he said, you know, he kind of had this, like, standoffish, but, you know, I'll tolerate you kind of attitude with me um and that was the night he won the money in the bank ladder match and i said well i'm glad to see that you know you 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 won hopefully they do something more with you and he was just like yeah i guess whatever it's it's whatever it's you know it's it's a prop or something to that effect i don't remember the whole contents of the conversation but you know basically i just complimented you and was happy to see that your character was doing you know that did well on on that particular show and you basically just kind of snubbed me right then and there so we took the picture he didn't really seem too enthused. Um, and you mentioned Gallows. I met Luke Gallows earlier that evening, um, or maybe later that evening. I don't remember exactly when. And this is a funny story. He was one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. He's like a fan. He's just like a big mark, except he's, you know, you know he's got muscles, and he, he makes a lot more money than I do. 
So anyhow, he was doing the whole Festus thing with uh, with, with um, Terry Gordy's kid. And uh, Ken, we had um, former WWE writer John Carl on like five or six years ago. And John introduced me to him. John was a Connecticut native at the time. I think now he works for YouTube out in Los Angeles. Anyhow, John introduced me to him, and he introduced himself as Drew because that's his real name. And I said, hi, nice to meet you. How's it going? He was like, he goes, great. He goes, the Honky Tonk Man just called me a mark, and it made my night. And I was like, the Honky Tonk Man is here? He was like, he's like, yeah, the Honky Tonk Man is here, and so is Macaulay Culkin. I was like, Macaulay Culkin is here? So I met Macaulay Culkin earlier in the or later that evening, and I told him, you know, I loved him in Home Alone. He didn't really care for that comment because I'm sure he's heard that from thousands of other people in the, in the entire world. So I said, well, Honky Tonk Man's here. I got to meet the Honky Tonk Man. I was like marking out, and I wasn't a big Honky Tonk Man fan, but I was like, what the hell's Honky Tonk Man doing here? Like he's been out of the, the game for a while. I wouldn't go over there and bother him. He goes, he's not in the best mood. I said, really? I said, okay, fine. I won't bother him. You know, he, I said, any reason why? So Gallows, and, and, this is, and this is great, too, because Gallows told this story on one of Jericho's podcasts, like, last year. And it's a, if you go YouTube it, it's hilarious, the way Gallows tells it. But I'll do my best to explain. So Gallows said that him and Kurt Hawkins who had, had approached Honky Tonk Man sitting at a table by himself. And he was telling, and they, they, they were talk, discussing how they were going to approach Honky Tonk Man, and they finally approached him. And he said to Honky Tonk Man, he goes, hey, Honky, he's like, such a great spread that they put out, meaning the catering. Because I've been to a few of those after parties. They're unbelievable. The food, the, the entertainment, the open bar. I mean, it, they, they do top notch for, for the talent and the people that work in that company and the guests there. Like, those parties are, were awesome. So, anyhow, um, Honky Tonk Man replies, <laughs> it's coming out of your chick, you fucking mark. And I just started <laughs> dying laughing. I thought it was like the best. And and so like and then he just starts like I get like Gallows was telling me that he just kept like trashing the company and he was like, I cannot believe that like they're paying you to be here right now. So then I guess like some people from within the office like were walking towards the table and that's when Gallows split because he was like, I can't be associated with this. So they must have known that Honky was trashing them or whatever. But if you go YouTube it and YouTube like Luke Gallows Honky Tonk Man story, he he does it he he does it better justice than I do. It was absolutely hilarious. But talking with him, I forgot in those like ten or fifteen minutes and I was exchanging conversation with him that he was a wrestler because I talked to him like he was a fan and he treated me the same way. And it was it was probably one of the best of meeting a wrestler that I've had over the years. That's awesome. And now maybe we know why Honky Tonk's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call, and we've got through. We had a little, little bit of negativity there. We're going to get back into the positive and the fun-loving meeting pro wrestlers. We want to hear from you. Give us a call if you had some fun encounters with some pro wrestlers. We want to hear your take. But right now, it is time for the day five fifty fifty news report. Good evening, and after a brief end-of-summer hiatus, welcome back to the Day 5 50-50 News Report, only heard at the top of the hour right here at the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Now, before I get into this week's top stories, don't forget to follow B-Plus Players Radio, where you can find this show each and every week. Catch the replay of our live Sunday shows dropping at roughly 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and if it's not available then, Send your thoughts and concerns to the imaginary suggestion box owned by the guy who steers the ship, Mark Adam Haggerty. 
who also hosts his very own show, The Outsider's Edge. More original content is being added to B-plus seemingly every day, making B-plus Players Radio the place to get your fix on pro wrestling podcast talk. You don't want to be left out in the cold, so subscribe right now. With that being said, here's this week's top stories. This week starts off with another tale of turmoil within the ranks of Global Force Wrestling and Anthem Media. Now, this story does not revolve around the saga concerning the Hardy family, but rather Chief Creative Officer Jeff Jarrett. It was reported this past week that Jarrett will be taking a leave of absence from the company for an indefinite period of time to handle personal matters. Various wrestling media outlets are reporting that this decision was made by Anthem CEO Ed Nordholm earlier this week. Alleged reports have come out that Jarrett's erratic behavior began when transitioning into his role within GWF, but more importantly, a particular incident at AAA's Triple Mania event recently, where Jarrett appeared to have been under the influence of an unknown substance when entering the ring for a battle royal. Once this news broke publicly, rumors began of an apparent sale of Global Force Wrestling from Anthem Media. Allegedly, the GFW trademarks and licensing have not been fully obtained by Anthem, and the transition has taken longer than reported. On top of that, of an apparent case of buyer's remorse by Anthem over the hemorrhaging of funds and the amount of money they have paid to keep GFW afloat has created yet more negative PR for the company that's just trying to keep their head above water. Nordholm spoke with Wrestling Observer Radio this week and debunked the rumors of a sale and stated Anthem is fully committed to GFW and its future existence. And if that wasn't proof enough, Nordholm spoke of the Global Force Wrestling Network, an over-the-top streaming service of content starting at the price point of $7.99 a month. Other specifics surrounding the service weren't discussed, other than this will be a tiered price system, and hopefully other organizations such as AAA and Japan's Pro Wrestling NOAA will eventually hop on board in the near future. In some more negative press for Global Force Wrestling this week, in my second story, it looks as if talks between Rey Mysterio and the company are now dead in the water. Allegedly, according to the Wrestling Observer, both sides were unable to reach an agreement on a working relationship. It was rumored that Mysterio would be brought into the company to face Alberto El Patron at November's Bound for Glory event, but Patron's suspension may have prevented that. It should also be noted that before last week's announcement of Jarrett's leave of absence, he too was also rumored to be facing Patron at that event. Excuse me, at that event. Where the storyline would depict Patron's anger of his real-life suspension towards Jarrett and management. But with Patron still suspended, Jarrett taking a leave, and Mysterio not joining the company, all of those rumored plans have been officially scrapped. My third story this week, Season 4 of Lucha Underground may not be a reality, according to reports this past week. Allegedly, El Rey has green-lighted a Season 4. However, the funds to produce such is what's come into question. Investors and the production company have not stepped up as of right now to help fund the rumored fourth season. Allegedly, according to the Wrestling Observer, the very first season lost a lot of money. However, after filming of that season, one of the investors was convinced to shell out more funding to reach 100 episodes in hopes of the potential for syndication opportunities. Those 100 episodes spanned out to three seasons, which were last taped 15 months ago. Many of the Lucha Underground talents are, very, are under very strict contracts that won't allow them to work anywhere else that has a television deal, and they don't get paid until the episodes have already aired. Many of those talents have been on the radar of WWE, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. However, none of those companies are willing to approach any of the talents in fear of contract tampering. 
Global Force Wrestling was able to obtain the services of Johnny Mundo, the former John Morrison in WWE, who now goes by Johnny Impact in GFW. How that deal came about with the rumors of the strict Lucha Underground contracts is beyond me, folks. But nonetheless, if a fourth season can't be produced, then there looks to be plenty of free agents on the open market for all the major organizations to snatch up. In an update from a story I noted on in a previous edition of the Dave Five, looks as if all the trademark and licensing issues are well on their way of being settled with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan and his purchase of the National Wrestling Alliance. PW Insider reports that Corgan doesn't plan to take full control of the company until sometime in October, when the old licensing and trademark agreements with other companies have expired. As of right now, there is no word on what Corgan has planned for the brand moving forward, but it should be known that if he does have any plans on what to do with the NWA, it may have to be put on hold as he's gearing up for another music tour sometime in the latter part of 2017. And in my final news story this week, two-time WWE Hall of Famer Nature Boy Ric Flair looks to be on the mend after a recent health scare that almost put him down for the count for good. And he's wasting no time getting back on his feet as he announced this past week that he has parted ways with the agency that used to represent him, Legacy Talent Entertainment, LLC. He formally announced just days after his departure from Legacy that he is now represented by Get Engaged Media. There are no reports on details surrounding his exit from his previous management group at this time. And on a personal note from all of us here at the Ken Reedy Show, we would like to say that we are thrilled to see Nate moving forward and getting back into the swing of things after this most recent health issue. And for you wrestling fans who listen to this fine podcast, do you have a lucky individual in your life that currently doesn't know it? Do they know you're a passionate wrestling fan but have a hard time making the decision to take a plunge and go on a date with you? Well, folks, wait no longer as I've got the solution. Door Decor, the one-stop shop for all your custom home decor needs. If you're looking to impress a special someone, then look no further than Door Decor. Custom wreaths, signs, or any other home decor could add personality to one's humble abode. Not sure what you're looking for, or do you have a special theme in mind? Maybe a pro wrestling theme? Then reach out to Nicole on Facebook, at Door Decor by Nicole, or on her Etsy store at Decor Door Boutique. She'll be able to help design and create the perfect piece to hang in your home for that special someone. Here's your chance to finally get laid and still maintain your pro wrestling fandom with Door Decor. And there you have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the return of the Dave 550 News Report. Check back here next week, same Dave 5 time, same Dave 5 channel. Now let's continue this pro wrestling field trip episode. Story time, if you will, as we send it back to Rocky and Ken. Take it away. Like, you know... Door to core, that's important. I mean, I, I like, you know, people, if you're not a wrestling fan, you're that ad, you're like, oh, no. like to, to maintain your wrestling fandom and get laid. That's, that's, that's a big deal. That, that is. is a big deal. I so I, I think like, I, I don't think we can stress enough that that is, that, that's something else right there. That's, that's, uh, that's the goal. That is a goal. That's, yeah. the, goal. <laughs> that's the top of the mountain, boys. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, that's top of the mountain. Right Kicked there. out yeah. of two. Uh, unbelievable. Let's let's get back <laughs> in. Let's have some some positivity. You know, one of the things I, I do want to talk because it's someone we we've all met, and um, honestly, probably the nicest guy in pro wrestling. Um, and, and I don't even know if I'm exaggerating here, but you may know him as Little Guido. You may know him as Nunzio. You may know him as James. Um, I probably called them all three at some point. <laughs> Um, at the Pepper Mill, he's affectionately referred to as Nunzi. 
Um, but we've been friends with him for a while now. And um, I, one of my favorite stories is honestly, like we had met James a, a few times and um, wasn't really friendly. It was just kind of a, a high by kind of, a, you know, acquaintances. We happened to be frequenting the same bar. Um, but the funny, like when we really became friends and, and I think it's surreal, like to to have someone you can call friend that, like, I forget sometimes. We hang out, like, oh yeah, like he was in the WWE, he was the cruiserweight title, he almost got broken in half by Bill Goldberg, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But um, you know, just the nicest guy, and one of those guys that, like, you know, you can just BS with him. But if you're a fan, and you, again, that whole idea, if you're a fan and you stop Nunzi. And you want to talk wrestling? Talk. Oh, he'll stop and talk with you. Like he's got no problem yeah, hanging out and talking with fans. Uh, he's just a really great guy. Um, but the the first when we really became friends was my band had a gig um, in at the Pepper Mill because everything happens at the Pepper Mill. And um, I was I was wearing this stupid fedora uh, during the gig because I thought it was pretty. It might be that fedora right there that's <laughs> sitting in the studio. And uh, I I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I'm, I'm singing a song and then between songs, uh, Michelle, producer, Michelle, uh, who's also in the band. Um, she, she, uh, says, Oh, you think you look awesome. <laughs> and that was, that was right around the time that Miz was wearing a fedora to the, the ring as well. And that was part of his gimmick. And I said on the microphone, that was hilarious, but nobody in the bar got the joke. And it really, like no one really laughed, and it was just kind of one of those things. I was there and, for uh, that. What was that? I think I was at that gig of yours. You may have been, <laughs> but that was. And then, like that. A- after that, like Nunzi kind of walked over to us and was like, "I, I got the joke." <laughs> <laughs> and and that was really where we hit it off. And and uh, you know we've really been friends ever since. We've been friends for for years, and it's uh, you know it, it's it's. It's interesting, and I'm sure for you, Dave, it's probably similar to, to being friends with the hurricane. It's like every so often, it's you got to kind of stop and be like, yeah, like you know, he was kind of a big deal. You know, Nunzi had had a storyline with Vince McMahon. He's held titles in the WWE, you know, and and he is like he is like he should do seminars on you know how to act like after you get out of the business because he's so well adjusted when it comes to pro wrestling. He's still right. He can still go oh, yeah. on the independent scene. He can still go. Um, but he holds no ill will towards the WWE. Um, to him, it's, he had his time and then they were done with him, and he's fine with that. Like he, like I've had conversations when he's like, he actually said to me, this is getting to the one time that we we've hung out a lot over the years, but the most concentrated hanging out, we had a road trip where, and this is again to, to the credit of, of the kind of person that, that Nunzi is. Uh, he will, when he, he doesn't like to drive long distances places. So what he does is he, if he has shows um, that are, are far away, they're a long drive. You know, he does fly places, but if it's, if it's a drive and it's a longer drive, um, he finds a guy, uh, an up and comer on the independent scene um, to be his driver, and he books them on on the show. So he gets him a payday. He pays for the travel expenses. He just wants a driver, but he gives you a shot to wrestle someplace where you wouldn't normally have the chance to wrestle. And he did that for me. 
um, and it was way upstate. Um, what should have been like a three or four hour drive wound up being like a five and a half hour drive because there wound up being a snowstorm. Um, but wound up spending a lot of time with uh, Woodnunzi in, in the car, just sharing stories. And uh, basically to pass the time, he pulled up that video on WWE, uh, the greatest 50 uh, superstars of all time. And he would watch the, the, the video on each superstar. He'd hit pause and we'd talk about stuff behind the scenes, what it was like to wrestle with them, you know, in the ring, what kind of workers they were, what kind of person they were. And, and it was just amazing, like, this this humble man, like, how many people in the wrestling business that he knows, that he's worked with, that he's interacted with, that he's wrestled with. And um, it was just, like, I probably learned more about the industry and the business, and in all honesty, how to conduct yourself in the business during that drive than, than any any other lesson I've, I've ever been a part of but he he's just such a such a great guy so giving um understanding uh he's willing to work with you he's not negative at all um but he'll be straightforward with you um you know in a seminar with him like he'll tell you something that didn't look good but he does it in such a way where he doesn't need to put himself over you know I, i think other people when they instruct you they they need to put themselves over by ripping on uh, maybe something you didn't do so well. Uh, that's not him. And just that, that road trip was, was just phenomenal. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was when I felt like an independent wrestler, you know, I was literally in the car between the ride up and the ride back, probably about 12 hours to wrestle about eight minutes. So, uh, and I was in like a fatal four way. So, the amount of ring time I actually had was probably about 30 seconds. So, um, but that was like, that's when I felt like I am an independent wrestler doing this drive. But uh, I learned so much on, on that drive. It, it was awesome. And then uh, I just remember the ride home and we talked for a while and uh, he fell asleep for a chunk of time. And then we almost hit a deer. <laughs> and, and, and then he woke up and he was away the rest of the journey. Yeah, I'm sure he was away. It was like, cause you like, we're riding all of a sudden, like it was a dark road, you know, those, those roads, like on the way back, like when you come in, sure, you know, sure. you get, you get upstate and there's like, there's no, there's no lighting. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm barreling down. I'm not going that fast. I'm probably going about 70 cause at this point I just want to be home. Um, I'm not going like 80, 90, but I'm probably going like a good 70 and my headlights just hit a silhouette of this effing enormous deer and luckily it was in the right lane no one was to the left so i was able to jerk the wheel and then jerk it back and then no he's like like, did did you fall asleep at the wheel like no nor will i at this point because now i'm like now i'm wired and and the worst part about this like this journey was i used um i was driving michelle's car producer michelle breaking kayfabe because we might be more than just producer and talent, but I was driving her car and she got a new car because the last car I totaled hitting a deer. <laughs> so all I was thinking was like, could you flashback? <laughs> but yeah, so like, I mean, that, that drive was just awesome. And he continues to be just a, a good sounding board, a good like educator, um, just, a, just a fun guy, but that, that drive was just, as far as like meeting him and being friends with him, I guess that drive was one of, uh, 
uh, being in the business, I would say, is probably one of my most favorite memories of, of being with a, a professional wrestler. Wrestler was made. Yeah. And, you know, and I've taken the that uh, drive with uh, Nunzio as well. He he is an amazingly humble, uh, great guy. I couldn't say enough uh, good things about Nunzio. But uh, today I had my own uh, experience with another uh, star of the WWE in years past, which was quite interesting. I made the loop from New York all the way to the Newark Hilton to uh, take a drive up to uh, East Hartford, Connecticut, with none other than David Heath, otherwise known as Gangrel. And uh, I'm telling you, Along the same veins of Nunzio, great guy, uh, absolutely top-notch guy. He was, you know, again humble. He was very thankful that you know someone came to, I guess someone came to get him. But you know, really, uh, stories upon stories, you know, road stories about the time when he was at WWE, of the time that he was wrestling in the UK, in uh, in Ireland, uh, and in Puerto Rico. Uh, and, you know, we, we hit it off right off the bat because right off the bat, he was talking about his love of Puerto Rican food, uh, Rush and Van Halen. And I was like, OK, we're off to the races right off, right off the bat. Uh, but one of the stories that he told me early on in the, in the trip, which I greatly appreciated, as our listeners may or may not know, I am a uh, member of the military. I did my years in the military. And within the military, you have something called MWR, which is morale welfare and recreation and every once in a while those guys put on shows you know different type of shows basically you know doing something for uh the troops uh to entertain them take their mind off things and we are always very appreciative and uh gangrel was telling me those were some of his favorite shows to do because the guys were always so thankful they were always into it because you know if if you want to get guys who are really into a wrestling show do a show on a military base uh you know that we we boo the heels, cheer the faces. We're all invested, you know, one hundred percent. And uh, he was telling me about a story. He actually did an MWR show in Okinawa, Japan, uh, on a certain base there called Camp Foster. Now I can tell you, Camp Foster sucks. Uh, you do not want to be on Camp Foster when you're on, when you're in Okinawa. That there was basically one thing to do on base, and that. You know, for the enlisted members, it's the E Club. It's a, a certain club, and it's called the it's called the Globe and Anchor. But what you know, Marines call it because we know we know better is it's called the Hook and Jab, because you know, j- just put a bunch of young, very young twenty somethings on an island, pump them full of alcohol, and you're going to get a bar fight in the drop in a, <laughs> drop of a hat. Quite plain and simple. So he was telling me that you know. He was thinking about going there, but the guys waved them off like, no, no, you, you don't want to go there, it, you know, not unless you're you're in for a good bar fight. So it, it was good to know that just as he had come there to entertain the Marines there, that my brothers and sisters in arms were was taking care of him by making, helping him to steer clear of the hook and jab. Uh, that was uh, that was good to hear. That's awesome. How, how long were you in the car with them today? Oh, Let's see, I picked him up in Newark, and it was a two, about, uh, it was supposed to be a two and a half hour drive. I was able to make it in two and ten. So, 
We, we hit. We had a lot. You know, a lot of That's stories. Awesome. Were, you, were you like? Were you Gangrel's guy? Um, it, it, he was. He was again being very humble, but he was very gracious and he was very thankful. That's so awesome. like like during the show, he was like like the the promoter of the show, uh, a gentleman Chris Gallerani, uh, and this show was for Make a Wish. Uh, so it was a you know great organization to be involved with. It was a great show, uh, all in all, and it was a very uh, a very large show, larger than I expected. But uh, you know one thing that they made for, that he made certain when he had the speech, he had the locker room speech to get the guys geared up for the show, and he wanted to point out that you know the first guy here was Gangrel, and immediately Gangrel goes, well, no, that's because of Rocky. Nice. <laughs> so I was like, uh, you know, uh, how can I, how, how can I say anything bad about that guy? You know, I, and I told him, I'm like, look, if you're ever in the Northeast and you need someone to give you a ride, I'll come get you. We'll shoot the shit, and I'll get you to wherever you need to go because it was just a blast riding with him. That's all. Yeah, because that was the thing when we went we went up with with Nuns. Like I remember, to everyone there, it was like, well, that's Nunzi's guy. So I was I was like a made man, like it's funny, like because I'm I, you know I'm green as grass, and I and I know you know some of these locker rooms you can go into, and I got a limited move set. I started in this game pretty late in life, like there ain't a lot of shit I'm going to be doing, and don't ask me to do any sort of crazy spots. Um, I'm sure there'd be some people that wouldn't be none too happy about that, but going there being Nunzi's guy, I was Nunzi's guy, so I was like. <laughs> So, I, you know, and everyone, like, treated me. Like, all of a sudden, there was, like, that instant respect, like, being in the locker room. We're like, oh, this is a good place to be. But, Dave, I mean, you've got a, a friendship for a while with, with the Hurricane. We actually, it was cool because um, to meet him, at, was, that was Mania in um, New York, correct? We took our picture with him, but you've known him for a while. Yeah, um, I've known him since 2006. Uh, like I said, at one time, I was, you know, good friends with, uh, with former TNA knockout Velvet Sky. She was dating him. Uh, for, for she dated him for quite a while, and I struck up a friendship with him. And he's one of those guys, kind of similar to, to the way you guys described Nunzio. Like, you know, he's a fan of the business. He got in because he grew up watching it. You know, North Carolina boy watching Mid Atlantic and you know Georgia Championship Wrestling and Jim Crockett Promotions. Like he was, you know, you know that was his. You know, Ric Flair, Ricky Morton, Ricky Steamboat, those guys. Like they were, you know, those are the guys he grew up on. So like hearing the stories about him in the South and, and, and watching wrestling down South because, you know, we're Northeast guys and we grew up on WWF and Titan sports. It was, it was, it was pretty interesting, but he, there were a few times when I first met him, I'd be like, Hey man, like if you don't want to talk about wrestling, cause you, you live it, totally get it. I told him and he, and he looked at me straight up the first time. And he was like, He's like, honestly, he goes, I'm a fan just like you. He goes, I got into this because I grew up watching this. And I love this. I'm not like a, I'm not like the other guys in the business that are that will treat the fans like assholes, you know, you know, just for the sake of doing it because they don't want to talk about wrestling or whatever. He goes, I love it. You know, it's my life, and you know, I got no problem talking wrestling with you. And anytime I talk wrestling with him and I give my opinion about something, he always took took it into account and valued it in some way because I'm the consumer and I was watching it. So I was giving him a fan's perspective and he never treated me like I was like a Mark, like, like he described some of the other wrestlers, but I actually, I got an interesting road story with him. Um, two road stories, actually. I'll go real quick. The first one was he was dating, you know, he was with, you know, Velvet Sky at the time and we got in the car and we drove to somewhere in New Jersey um, and she was working a show 
for an all-women's independent promotion called WSU. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it before. Um, but they did all-women's wrestling. Um, Mercedes Martinez was on the card, who was a Connecticut native. She was in the May Young Classic recently, um, in one of the final four matches, I believe. Uh, Missy Hyatt had a spot on the show, and so did Daphne from WCW. And um, the only thing I really remember about that show is that it fucking sucked. Um, <laughs> it was all, no. He he'll even tell you this too. Every there were like the first three or four matches. So Velvet, or whose real name is Jamie, she was the main event against Daphne. And Missy Hyatt's spot on the card was she did like an interview segment. It was like a similar to like a Piper's Pit, but it was like Missy's Lair or Missy's Corner or something bullshit like that. And she looked like she was pretty doped up and like didn't know where the hell she was like. She like you, you seriously you could have gotten anything by her. She was she was way out there. Um, so the first four matches on that card, every finish was a tornado DDT. It was like all the girls got together and were like, "We're going to do a tornado D- DDT finish." And Shane looked over at me, and it was in this like small little like Elks Lodge VSW that probably sat maybe like seventy five people. They wrestled in a boxing ring. Um, which I think I hear those are more unforgiving than rest than pro wrestling rings, but they wrestled in like a small, like amateur boxing ring. It was like 12 by 12. Like it was tiny. And, um, we sat like at the bar in this place. And, um, for anybody that watches, uh, impact wrestling, which I don't know how many people listen to our program that watch that show, no offense, but, um, Kevin Matthews, who was a Northeast independent native, he's on impact wrestling. Now, um, he was at the show. And he had just gotten let go from WWE developmental. He was down in the deep South wrestling territory and Shane introduced me to him. Um, and he could have given, he could have cared less. He could have, you know, given a shit who I was. In fact, he really say much to me. Um, but the whole time he bitched about his, uh, his tenure there and how he got fired and, you know, the way Bill DeMott treated him uh, during training and stuff like that. I heard all kinds of crazy horror stories um, from him and he was talking to Shane and I was just kind of sitting there observing but, um, so they had the intermission, Jamie comes out, signs autographs, then she comes over to Shane, uh, to get something, the keys to the car for something. I don't know what she needed. And she had, you know, some revealing ring gear and Kevin Matthews was like, wow, you look great. You look like such a slut. And Shane just looked over at me, took his coat off and said, hold my drink. And he like took his watch off. Like I had his jacket, his drink his watch, I think I had his bracelet, and, like, he just went, like, crazy and, like, almost killed him. Like, I had to, like, take him outside. We got in the car. We had to go, like, we had to, like, walk around the mall, like, just to cool him off because he was going to kill Kevin Matthews. And so later we come back and, like, we get, we, we make it just back in time to see Jamie's match in the main event. And Jamie, uh, she, has, she goes, is he all right? I'm like, yeah, he's fine. He's cool. He's just, you know, he's upset, you know, because you're his girl and, some dude called you a slut, and he knows that the guy was joking, but, you know, he, it's a respect thing. So Matthews apologized, and they all kissed and hugged, but, you know, that was one story. And then took another road trip with the two of them, and she was wrestling somewhere in, in, uh, in like, near, like, Middletown, New York, I think, for Northeast Wrestling and uh, uh, Michael Bryan, the promoter. And on that card was Booker T, Jerry the King Lawler, Abyss, and uh, Jamie was on it as well. And Jamie was in the mixed tag. She was going to tag with Jerry Lawler against um, J- 
Do you remember the WWE diva Cherry? She came out on the roller skates. She was with yeah, like yeah, Deuce, Deuce Domino. Yeah, so she was on that card. She was a really sweet girl, very very nice. Um, so she was supposed to tag with Romeo Roselli, who was a local Northeast guy, but he also wrestled in WWE as one of the heartthrobs in like 2005, I think. So he almost didn't make it to the event, and I'm in the back, and we're in this a high school gym. They, apparently, they didn't sell enough tickets. They had to, like, quadrant off the gym with, like, one of those retractable walls. So the other side had, like, a basketball court. So I was playing horse with Jerry Lawler, Booker T, Abyss, and Shane Helms, <laughs> of all people. And Mike O'Brien comes up and says, do you know how to work? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, work, like wrestle. I said, uh, no, but I can make it work if you want. He's like, he goes, oh, damn, never mind then. All right. So Romeo almost didn't make it. I could have got my shot in the big time wrestling Jerry the King Lawler in an independent show and mixed tag if I just lied through my friggin' teeth. But I didn't. <laughs> but, but but we had we had a, we had an entertaining game of horse. I got to wear the King's crown, which was cool. Abyss was a really nice guy. We talked boxing and MMA with Booker T. You know, like it was it was a fun. Like I, I didn't feel like I'm like a fan. I felt like one of the guys. They made me feel like one of the guys. Like hanging out with him. So that you know, being with Shane. Um, he's always made me feel like just a normal person, not like somebody lower than him because of his celebrity status. I was just at his house in North Carolina back in February. Um, I was visiting my brother. He lived about an hour away, so I went to go meet him. And uh, he still owns the last cruiserweight championship belt from WCW with the sale. So he had it in his house. I got to see that. And there's another real good story. It's short, but uh, the AWA championship. Um, do you remember the story about Stan Hansen didn't want to do a job and he was the AWA champion and he ran over the belt and like sent it back to Vern Gagne and it was all cracked up? Yeah. You remember? You, you guys recall that? So anyhow, um, Shane knew a guy that made championship belts and for some reason there was some lost in translation, you know, miscommunication between this guy in the AWA. So he had made a new AWA world heavyweight championship belt for when Hanson didn't want to return it. And he ran over the belt and tore it up and then never got back to the AWA. So he gave Shane the brand new AWA championship belt. So Shane has the AWA championship in his house and it's freaking huge. It's enormous. Um, yeah. So those are just some of my, my, my recollections of, of my friendship with Shane Helms. And like I said, we text here and there. Um, you know, when he had his baby, I sent him a text. When uh, I got married, he sent me a text. Congratulations! So, you know, he's he's one of the he's one of the good guys in the business that treats the fans. You know, if you treat him with respect, he will treat you with that same respect back. And one of the guys that gave us like one of our our best interviews, a, a live interview, um, on on this show, uh, WrestleMania weekend when uh, doing the road tripping thing. So, through all my audio equipment in in the car and set up a, a makeshift radio studio in the hotel room. And uh, it was nice enough to uh, trek over. Although Dave, we had to uh, commandeer your brother to kind of take on some chauffeur services. Yeah. As a matter of fact, from what I hear, my brother almost ran over Ivan Koloff, picking him up at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> That's an international incident. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Ivan Koloff could have gone sooner if it wasn't for my brother. 
May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, you know it, it's been interesting because over the years we've had uh, we've had some some interesting talent, some uh, some really fun interviews on the show. Like when you think about some of the guys we've had on the show, Dave, do you have like a favorite that we've interviewed? Uh, Tommy Dreamer was one. Uh, he's a New York Giants fan, so he was watching the game at the same time while we were interviewing him. So then I had the TV <laughs> on. So I thought that was kind of cool. We were, we were kind of going back and forth. J.J. Dillon was probably my favorite because he gave us so much. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. We had Chris Masters on. He was pretty cool. Um, the worst interview we ever did, the absolute worst, was Fred Rubenstein from the National <laughs> Wrestling Alliance. The absolute worst. We asked him two questions. And it took 45 minutes on a pay-per-view free show. <laughs> was that it? Like and I then, feel like it was like about two hours. I, I, it was I, I two, have to go back to the archives. I counted. Oh my god! Yeah, I, he, he was, just he had a lot to talk about, and it. Uh, yeah, I think you're right though. Like I, I don't think it's talk. this exaggeration. I think we asked like literally like two questions. I could hey, trust me. I can talk. I'm sure you guys have been annoyed if I've gone on long rants on the show before. But <laughs> holy shit, this guy's got a freaking motor mouth. And then remember Mike Ferrara. Mike Ferrara went on Facebook and tagged us on Facebook about how much he hated that Fred Rubenstein took up all the call time and he couldn't get on the phone to do his normal shit. I do remember that. That's right. He did like, it's like, it's not fair. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the best I, I can, man. Like, I'm like, my studio in the spare bedroom of my house. Like, yeah, he just, I mean, I, I probably wants to go back and listen to that because he just, he had an opinion on just about everything in the business and uh, he was able to, uh, just go off on on tangents and and hit a lot of different things and uh, yeah, wow, that was that was that was something else that day. Yeah, two questions. Legitimately, it was two questions, and it was like a half hour, forty five minutes. I don't even think we got to preview the rest of the pay per view, and then we were off the air. <laughs> like, <for real. laughs> I, yeah, it's, you know what? I now I rem- I totally remember it. If you go back, it was the Survivor Series two thousand and twelve. Ken Reedy show pregame. We, I, I think, okay, yeah. I think we, you go back. And, and that was when yeah. I was doing commentating for uh, NWA on NWA. fire when on fire was still affiliated with the NWA and Rubenstein was the, the head of officiating. Um, and I think all the NWA at the time and, um, and who knows where the NWA was going now, but uh, yeah, that was, that was quite an interview. I do want to hit on like, you know, I get one of the most interesting guys that, that I've had the opportunity to meet and um, smell a show a few times, Tommy dreamer. Um, and, and he has like, he's, he's been, uh, he was one of the first interviews. Uh, I was, in fact, I think this predates you Dave on the show that uh, is one of my first interviews. And the, one of the guys I got to thank, like, you know, Gino Caruso from ECPW who didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And happened to be doing an event one night, and and I was like, oh, let me see if I can go get some interviews, and called them. And he was like, yeah, by all means, we'll set you up with a table, and uh, you mind interviewing some of my guys? Like, no. He's like, all right, and then, like, threw me Tito Santana, and it was like, like for me, I'm like, wow. Like, that's, and Tito is one of my first interviews. Uh, got Scotty Juhati, who was, who was awesome, but uh, Tommy was in that mix. Like, one of, I don't think it was the first one, but one of the first uh, ECPW shows, and, uh, uh, fun interview first off, and then and since then being friends with with Nunzio, um, have been in Tommy Dreamer's uh, company 
uh, a number of times. And, and Tommy Dreamer is a guy, and I like him a lot. And, and honestly, I think that he might be the best booker in the business right now. Um, the guy knows how to book a show. He's got that brain for pro wrestling. But the other side of, like, having the brain for pro wrestling, Tommy Dreamer's got the emotional uh, wherewithal for pro wrestling because that dude does not get angry, does not get too happy, does not get <laughs> – like, he's the most even-keel guy I've probably – not just in wrestling, but I've ever met. And, and it's to the point where – for House of Hardcore, you know, I've had the opportunity to do merch sales. Uh, I've helped out there because, and honestly, it came from being so impressed with the show and, and talking to, talking with Nunzi. And, and I said to him, look, if they need help with anything, like I'll mop floors. Like to me, like House of Hardcore is where it's at. Um, and he was like, like his wife would, would help with uh, merchandise. So he's like, you know, I'll talk to Tommy. You can help with merch. Um, so a few of the House of Hardcore shows we've helped with, with merch and Tommy would come over and we would talk and, and give us instructions and everything. And then there was like a second show I worked House of Hardcore and, you know, it's Tommy Dreamer. So I went up, you know, introduced myself again. He's like, oh, I know how you are. I know who you are. How are you doing? You look good. You working out? I'm like, Okay. <laughs> all righty. I was like, okay, so so Tom, Tommy Dreamer knows who I am. Well, all right then. <laughs> but then I remember asking Nunzio's wife, like, does Tommy like me? Because <laughs> he's so even keel. Really, really, I have no idea. And he's like, he trusts you at the merchandise table. He likes you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but it's like he's so you know he he's got a very dry sense of humor. Um, you know, recently working a show and being in the locker room with him, um, he walked in and he saw this after a few years now of knowing him, he walked into the locker room, looked at me and said, why the hell are you doing this to yourself? (laughs) I I remember that. I remember that. (laughs) And I was like, well, he's like, oh, why are you doing this to your body? And I was like, well, you know, and then he stopped himself. He said, you know what? I think it's really cool. You're. You're going after a dream, and, and you're doing this. He's, and then he said, wrestling's like the most fickle mistress. He's like, <laughs> I love it, and I hate it at the same time. It's, it's just – and so he's a, he's a really cool guy. And, again, Tommy Dreamer, a guy that, you know, arguably a legend in the business, uh, definitely an ECW legend, sure. and a guy who is just um, super cool. But, again, not the easiest guy to read. But uh, it, it's been interesting being, uh, you know, going from that, you know, getting an interview with him him being on the show a few times and then getting into that, that mode where like now I'm sharing a locker room with him. Um, and, and it's been a few shows where I've actually shared a locker room with him. It's just one of those things where sometimes it's like surreal where I have to stop myself. And I'm like, am I really in the same locker room with this guy? Is this, is this really, are we actually just, are we actually, am I sitting in a locker room bullshitting, tying wrestling boots with Tommy dreamer? Is this really <laughs> happening? And sometimes it's like, I got to pinch myself that I'm actually, Living a life that that I'm I'm actually doing that it's just, it, it's completely surreal. Yeah, some meetings you know are genuinely make you sit back and think like, wow, it is actually happening. And like I I personally remember one meeting uh, that actually I had through Nunzio, um, and it was at of course where everything happens, the Pepper Mills, <laughs> and it, it just so happened that I had I happened to be out for a late night nightcap 
uh, it was later uh, in the evening. It was, I, we're talking probably like one thirty-two in the morning. Uh, I, I was a bit of a night owl. And uh, Nunzio happened to come in. And who comes in with Nunzio but Teddy Long? Uh, and I was like, holy smokes, that is Teddy Long. You know, everything he's been, you know, all the stuff he's done in the business, I was freaking, I was like, oh, that's Teddy Long. I got, you know, and normally, as is customary within the pepper mill, we buy each other drinks, we back each other up. So I was like, well, I, you know, it's Teddy Long. I got to buy that guy a drink. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to, like, completely mark out and, and you know, be up to, oh, Teddy Long. But, you know, I feel like, look, I'll buy the gentleman a drink. You know, it's cool to see him out. And so I, 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 I tell the bartender, you know, back, back up Nunzi, back up uh, Mr. Long over there. And I go back to my beer and I'm having my beer. And then I turn and I realize that Teddy Long's walking up to me. And I'm like, okay, he's, he's going to thank me for the beer. But, you know, and it, it's funny when you, when you look at like certain wrestling personas, like, uh, but if, to take, for example, Macho Man. It's like, does he really sound that way in real life? Like, oh, yeah. Like, does he real sound? And one would think, you know, Teddy, you know, okay, he, he hams it up for the camera. But, you know, in real life, he's a, no, he literally walked up to me. He's like, thanks a lot, player. I really appreciate the beer. I'm like, holy shit, he sounds like that all the time. <laughs> I was like, that is freaking awesome. <laughs> I, I, I respect you a little bit more now. That that you you that's you twenty four seven. That's awesome. And it's not a character. It is know. not a character. That's awesome. You know, and it's funny. I, and another guy we got to thank on the show is uh, Mike Riker, who used to be the producer of Busted Open, who's also been uh, great and very instrumental in in getting guests for the show. And and Dave, you kind of you touched upon, and I, I kind of want to revisit. You know, we when we had JJ Dillon on the show, um, that was phenomenal. That was one of those like markout moments and got to pinch ourselves and. You know, every time I do an interview, um, you know, I, I, I try to learn and I try to um, get better at it. And, and, you know, I try to do my research. And, and, and I just remember, like, J.J. Dillon starting the show off and kind of being, I would say one word answers, but a couple, a couple of questions, a couple of short answers. And... I made mention of his first him wrestling Barry Windham in Barry Windham's first match. And it was almost like one of those things where, Hey, these guys are for real. This, this show is for real. And it, it almost like opened them up at that point. And, and from that point on, uh, like you said, that one of my favorite interviews, if not my favorite interview, he was tremendous. I mean, he gave us stuff from, his, his wrestling days to managing to being behind the scenes. Um, and, and honestly, like before he was even on the show, um, I was at a signing that he happened to be at. And, and in the studio, I do have a picture of the four horsemen that, that JJ Dillon signed that um, I pulled them aside and just asked them uh, some advice as far as doing commentating. Cause I was doing commentating at the time. And, and he spent a good 15, 20 minutes with me just talking about, you know, the ins and outs and, and what you should work on and, and just a super nice guy. But when I look back on the show and, and again, my time quote unquote in the business, that had to be one of my favorite moments, Dave. It was definitely a, uh, a, a, you know, one of those like true genuine mark out moments for me. Um, 
along with when uh, we interviewed uh, Ricky Morton from the Rock and Roll Express, now WWE Hall of Famer. Um, growing up and watching, you know, J.J. Dillon, he was the figurehead of the Four Horsemen. He was the guy that, that you know, helped rally the troops to cause havoc amongst, you know, the National Wrestling Alliance. And I would, you know, hope and pray that Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors and the Rock and Roll Express and guys like that would have, you know, get their hands on him and see, you know, see them take him apart because he would be vital, you know, to the horseman's success in storylines and on TV when I was a kid. So to, to go from watching him as a child and wanting to see somebody tear him to pieces to then being on my phone and interviewing him on this podcast was like, I can't even I can't even put it into words what that was. And the same goes for Ricky Morton from watching him. My first experience is watching him wrestling the Midnight Express to then now talking to him on the phone on this podcast. There's no words that can describe it. It was just unbelievable. But you made a great point about the Dylan uh, interview, like one word answers in the beginning. But then, like you said, I think it was like the light bulb went off in his head, like, all right, these guys are for real. And I also think, too, with some of these guys that get interviewed, especially, you know, on these podcasts nowadays, they hear a lot of the same questions over and over again. You know, like if you're if you're Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, I'm sure the Montreal screw job has been talked to, you know, at nauseum with the two of them. But like a J.J. Dillon, like to to talk about something that a lot of people don't talk about that he had Barry Windham's first wrestling match in the business. Like I'm sure that to him was like, you know, all right, well, this is something different as opposed to hearing about, you know, all his stuff in the horseman. So I, I think, you know, that's a, to me, Ken, that's a testament to you and the research you did going into, going into that interview. And, and it's probably one of the best interviews I've heard you do on this show. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's it's really interesting though, like how you know the interviews kind of unfold sometimes. Because I do remember even with Tommy Dreamer, you know, and I think it's to your point. You know, when you start to ask the same questions, you know, ask Tommy Dreamer about ECW, um, you'll get some good answers. You know, some fun stuff. But it'll be get Tommy Dreamer talking about HOH. That's going to be a fun interview. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, and, and that's where his passion happens to be. And to your point, Dave, I mean, they're human. Um, you're asked the same question a thousand times and, th- and that's where the learning process comes in when you're doing a show like this, like knowing, all right, that, that, that wasn't the best interview. Like what, what can I tweak, you know, going forward? Um, and, and that's, and that's, what's been so much fun about doing the show. And we got to book some interviews. Like I mean, like we got to book some interviews for the show. Yeah. And I gotta say as a listener, uh, before you guys ever had me on the show, one of my favorite uh, interviews you guys did was actually with Mean Gene Okerlund. Like that, you know, not not only for the name value, but just for the uh, for the information and, and just th- think of that brain uh, that has experienced all he has experienced within the world of pro wrestling. And you know, he was great, and the questions you guys asked were on point. I I lo- the JJ Dillon interview. Excellent, but right up there with with that one is Mean Gene Okerlund. I can't, I can't take credit. I can't yeah, take I credit for Okerlund. Oh, I can't take credit. I was just gonna say I can't. Yeah, I appreciate the compliment, Rock, but I can't take credit for Oakland. Unfortunately, my day job kept me 
<laughs> you know, busy that day, so I couldn't do the interview. That that all goes to Ken. That right there. That that, that, yeah, all that goes was to that Ken. was a special. Like you know, it was one again. Thanks to Mike Riker, but you know, unfortunately, I was when Mr. Fuji had passed away. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, me and Gene had agreed to do it, but me and Gene's, uh, you know, getting um, time to schedule it just was was wonky and. He was like, I'll do it this day. And Riker honestly just uh, messaged me. He's like, you can do it at this time. I'm like, all right, you know, and I just, let me get on the computer. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Dave, you're not available. And that, that happens. Uh, it's, it's tough. But yeah. that was one of those interviews, honestly. Um, you know, some, when you interview some of these legends, um, you're taken back. With me and Gene, it was the voice that got me. And that's like, you know, I mean, we joke about it, but there is something to be said about, like, not marking out. I mean, there is a certain level of, like, all right, I'm going to have to control myself here because I'm just getting, like, a little, like, giddy. And, and it was weird because it was a very somber subject matter. I mean, I'm asking him about his old friend yeah. his old friend, and Fuji passing away. Um, but, you know, it's like immediately, it's like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Mean Gene. That's like the voice. Almost like you say with Teddy Long. Yeah. It's like that's like it, it's not like that was an act. It's not like that was, you know, a, a voice he put on like that. was That's Mean Gene Okerlund. And, um, you know, there are certain guys like when you think about growing up as a pro wrestling fan, that's, uh, you know, you think about the Hogan's, you think about the Pipers, you think about the Flares, you think but you think about Mean Gene Okerlund, you know, there's, you know, when you look at, you go on YouTube and you start to pull up, you know, all these great promos. And then, you know, with pay-per-views, it's one of the things that like we do here a lot of the time, Rocky will come over to watch pay-per-view and the pay-per-view ends. And it's like, let's go find some silly promos on YouTube and, and watch a few of them. And, and 90% of the time, Mean Gene Okerlund's the guy who's there, who's <laughs> yeah. interviewing. And when you look at it, it's like, you know, cream of the crop, he's there. Uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, NWO, he's there. And God, to, to, to hear that, we got to have him back on. We're going to have to book him again. Uh, like, now I'm like talking. That, like, that would be gold. Uh, we got we to book him again. But yeah, it just was like, wow. Like, as soon as I heard that voice um, come through the headphones, it was just, it was, uh, I just can't tell you, like, the feeling. Like, I just got goosebumps. And like, oh, it's, that, that's mean Gene Oakland. And honestly, like, he had a golf game to go to so I, I i cut it short you know i didn't i didn't want him to have to say he had to go so i wanted to make sure like let me let me end it and let him go um but god i, I probably could have I, we could dedicate a whole show oh, to absolutely that, that 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 would be complete total gold and you're right it, it was a somber occasion but even even in this in the, the somberness of the occasion the way he delivered the the, the stories uh, of Mr. F- you know, of Mr. Fuji, it's just like I can sit I can sit here and listen to you all day, even though this is a very sad occasion. Like the the voice, you know, for for many many years, probably literally the moniker of the voice of pro wrestling. Yeah, and also, and I don't think that that anyone's ever really gotten there as my, you know, I'm not saying no, no one was ever good at it um, necessarily, but to me, like mean Gene uh, is the benchmark. And I don't know if anyone really nailed that, that backstage promo interviewer role like mean Gene did. I, I mean, people have tried, um, you know, Michael Cole did it for a while. Like it's, I remember Todd Pettengill doing it, like Jonathan Coachman. Yeah. 
Coach was good. He was. But, but I was like, and not, not that, and, and then Cole was good too, but I don't think anyone really ever um, got to that level. Like, there's just nobody else like Mean Gene. And, well, uh, well, like, you, you back, back, back then and maybe even closer to now, maybe not now, but closer to now, his voice was just one of those things where if you heard, like, five different voices, you can pick someone up off the street that's the wrestling guy. I know right. that voice. <laughs> I, I know it. You know, you, you could pick it out. It was that iconic within, you know, so many decades and so many iterations of wrestling between, you know, WWF, WCW, back to W, you know, that's the wrestling guy. Yeah. And it's crazy, man. I mean, you know, to, the, to go through and, and it's amazing that, that, I mean, this show is, is, almost at a decade um, to go from, you know, doing this show, uh, doing it live, uh, bringing Dave on, um, you coming on rock, uh, doing commentary with uh, an NWA affiliate for a bit, um, getting into the ring, uh, you know, all the stuff that's just transpired over the years and, and it's just an interesting perspective to be able to look at pro wrestling as a fan, which I never want to lose. I never, no matter what I do in wrestling, I never want to lose that fan aspect uh, of pro wrestling. But being a fan, being uh, a worker, uh, being part of the press, um, you know, funny story. When, when Gino allowed me to do interviews at one of his shows, he sat me next to Scotty Tuhati. And he was really standoffish. Um, and then this go back, you know, it's interesting how technology evolves so quickly. But going back, um, you know, taking Polaroids. And someone came to, uh, there was someone who was by themselves who wanted a picture with Scotty Tuhati. And Scotty was by himself. And I just jumped in and was like, I'll take the picture. Um, and, and up until that night, Every time, like, I asked Scotty a couple times to do an interview, and he was like, yeah, 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 maybe later. And was, like, very kind of aloof with things. And it was only to, like, I said I'd take the picture for him that he got a lot more friendly. And then he looked at me as the press. And he doesn't trust the press. <laughs> and he doesn't trust the press at all. So he's like, I wasn't going to do an interview because I didn't know what kind of person you were. And I hear press, and you're going to go to the dirt sheets and make something up. And what if I say something wrong? And it's misconstrued and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, man, I'm just, I got my little podcast. and just want to like, just, 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 just want to do an interview. And, <laughs> and, you know, again, one of the first interviews I did, but a really cool guy afterwards. But I remember sitting there thinking, wow, like what, he just, he just doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> you know, it was really awkward. Cause he like, like, and Gina was cool. He, he, he set up a table and chairs. And so like the way they would do like an autograph signing, um, I just had a table next to Scotty. And uh, he just kept blowing me off until I, I took the Polaroid. Um, but it's been amazing to go from, you know, again, being a member of the press, uh, commentating, uh, talent. Uh, it's it just been it's, it's been a fun journey going through all this stuff. But, but Rocky, you, you like myself, um, have uh, joined the, the ranks of being a worker later in life. Is there any, any uh, guys you've met in the locker room in the back that, that – uh, it, it kind of stands out as you uh, for like a great experience, something that really like uh, took you back a little bit. Well, uh, you know, there have been a, in my very 
short uh, independent wrestling career, I can say that I've been lucky in uh, in running into a lot of names. One name that impressed me, though, that technically uh, I wasn't on the card. I wasn't backstage, but uh, he was involved with the card, and we were kind of involved with the show. It was at, How- at House of Hardcore, and that name would be Cody Rhodes. And one thing that impressed me with Cody, and I, I you know, even though I wasn't in the card, I, I hear from the guys in the back, and obviously we all talk, we're, we're all – quote unquote in the business. Um, and they say, you know, from, from the top to the bottom, Cody is the same guy. He, uh, he holds value for every single part of the card. And, you know, the philosophy is a, is a given philosophy that, you know, everyone has their role to play in the card, but, you know, in practice, there are not a lot of guys out there that, you know, if you've, if you've reached that pinnacle, and let's say Cody has reached that pinnacle, but, you know, especially on the independent scene right now, the, the, the man is on fire. If you've reached that pinnacle and in practice, you're not going to find a lot of guys who give the time of day to the guys uh, on the undercard. And Cody is just one of those consummate professionals that will actually, you know, whether you're the, the heavyweight champ of the, of the full promotion or you're the guy who just barely, you know, greener than grass, just got out of school, he will treat you exactly same, the same way. And I thought that was very, uh, very cool to see someone with that kind of uh, outlook, uh, considering, A, the family he's a part of, and B, uh, you know, where that man has been so far in the wrestling world. Just wait till that guy comes back to the WWE. Hey, guys. I'm having a blast, like, doing this, like, stroll down memory lane. And to be honest with you, like, I'm looking at my notes that I kind of were a little bit half-assed, just jotted down a bunch of stories. And, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to, like, half of them. So, uh, what do you guys, you guys want to do part two maybe next week? Like, keep it going? Like, I'm I'm enjoying this, this, this stroll down memory lane. I'm sure between the three of us we can come up with a bunch of stories. Yeah, I, I'm I'm down for it. Yeah. Count me in. Yeah, same, man. Like, as, as we're going through this, um, and it's been fun, and, and uh, I, I enjoy talking wrestling, but as, as we reminisce about stuff, I think we, we got to book some more interviews. Like, I'm kind of jonesing now to get some more, uh, get back on the ball and, and get some people, uh, you know, in the mix and then get some more interviews going. But uh, we, I mean, we've had our fair share as, as a show, you know. We've had our fair share of uh, – some some pretty decent guests, and uh, maybe it's time to ramp it up again. You know what I mean? That yeah, sounds good. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a long time since we've done some interviews, so I, I'm, I'm definitely I'm definitely ready. But you know what I'm ready for? I'm ready for part two for next week. That's what I'm ready for because I got a great story about my time where I worked backstage at WCW Monday Nitro. The night the Ultimate Warrior debuted. You're gonna love this story. Wow, that's, that's intense. Yeah, I mean it's funny, man, because I'm like looking at my my notes here, and, and uh, coming up next week, um, I didn't get to relay stories of meeting Hulk Hogan, Flair, Roddy Piper, Don Morocco, Jimmy Snuka, or the Million Dollar Man. So uh-huh. there's a few stories over there I, I can kind of hit on. So. Uh, Let's reminisce again next week. Let's have another story time episode. You guys out there, um, you know, a couple of marks. Thanks for giving us a call. Great story. Great picture. 
Oh yeah. With, with Bill Goldberg. <laughs> uh, you guys have a story. Now you got one in the books. We're going to do it again next week. Three, four, seven, eight, three, eight, nine, eight, one, five is the number to call. You got some stories about meeting some guys, whether you work with them, whether it was something that you, you just met them at a signing, give us a call. We want to hear your stories. So we're going to have story time part two next week because we just have too many great stories. Thank you guys for the support. Give us a call next week with your stories. For Dave and for Rocky, I am Ken. Have a good night, everybody.